You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. This is Apple Insider episode 119. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and with me is Neil Hughes, Editor-in-Chief. Hey, Victor, how's it going? Brilliant. How have you been? I'm doing all right. Excellent. So we had a rendering that we talked about on the site this week mm-hmm. of, of, a, of a so-called iPhone 8. And this is we're saying this is based on CAD files that are allegedly used for actual construction of the mm-hmm. case. This of the is some of the is stuff that that's right? leaked already that's out there um, showing a design of a device. Um, it's interesting because, you know, modern phones are essentially just a slab and glass on it. Right. Um, and so I remember a few years ago there was a, uh, a leaked model that came out of a, the, at the time it was called a future iPhone. And it turned out it was just some Chinese manufacturer that made something that looked a lot like an iPhone. Uh, you know, of course, given patent disputes between Samsung and Apple and stuff, there are people that would allege copying, of course. But uh, at the same time, there's only so many ways to differentiate a small you know, piece of glass and metal, essentially. So you always have to take these things with a grain of salt. But as we get closer and closer to September and an anticipated announcement, um, you'll start to get a clearer picture of what's going on with these devices uh, and, and what they're going to look like. Um, and I think that we'll have a pretty good idea by then. Okay, so should I take this, this render as something very serious or should I take it with uh, some skepticism? I would take it with some skepticism because we're seeing renders and, and CAD files and stuff and, and mock-ups and everything else out there, um, and they continue to circulate, some of them showing a Touch ID on the back of the device, and as we've talked about here on the podcast, I, I don't think that Apple is going to move the Touch ID to the back of the phone. I, I just really don't see that happening. Um, however, we don't know. You know, um, If Apple really has their heart set on uh, getting an edge-to-edge display on this and they can't get... Touch ID to work in the screen. Maybe they will put it on the back. I I, I can't say with one hundred percent certainty. My gut says uh, that that's not going to be the case, but we, we just don't know because this is not just as simple as you know manifesting an idea and making it happen. I mean, there are all kinds of moving parts that have to come in here, including the fact that the technology needs to be able to be produced at scale without any uh, major issues and and proper yield rates. It needs to be profitable. Uh, you know, Apple could create a theoretical million dollar iPhone that they could make a hundred of and, and sell those if they wanted to. But you got to be able to sell these at a certain price that people want to buy them at. And, and they got to crank out, you know, some 15 million of them for a launch weekend and stuff. I mean, there are so many moving parts to line all this up here and the modern supply chain and, and modern components are so complex that things could change at the drop of a hat. If, if Apple will do a thing and, and you know this better than anybody, Victor, with your experience in the industry, you can have multiple suppliers, as Apple does, that are competing essentially and trying to sell you their technology. And so when you buy an off-the-shelf iPhone, sometimes you might get a display made by Sharp, you might get a display made by LG, you might get a display made by somebody else, and they all fall within a certain range of one another. So you don't really know which screen you're getting because in Apple's mind and really any other electronics maker's mind, it shouldn't really matter as long as you get the same experience. Um, But Apple also uses that to their advantage in terms of yield rates. So there have been times in the past where a company will uh, be making parts for Apple and they just can't make them reliable enough or they can't produce them at cost or they can't get the numbers up. And so Apple drops that supplier and and goes with an alternate. Um, 
And so we don't really know what's going on uh, at this point as they gear up, but you know we're coming down to the wire. They're going to have to start manufacturing these phones and start ramping up production relatively soon if they want to hit a launch uh, this year. And of course they want to hit a launch this year, so <laughs> that's just what we're expecting. But I, you know there are rumors that the iPhone 8, the flagship model, the high-end thousand plus dollar model may be a little bit quote unquote delayed now i hate using the word delayed because you can't delay something if you don't announce it uh, but apple has historically for the last five or so years launched new iphones in september um, and it, it is rumored that this year's iphone 8 may not actually ship to consumers until uh, october or november even um, and if that's the case um, that would be a quote unquote delay uh, from the normal time frame of shipping things but um you know as we get closer and closer to september we're gonna have a better idea of what's going on here but as as of right now you got to take it all with a grain of salt you can't believe these mock-ups these renderings these supposed leaks these parts uh you can't you can't count on them just yet we're not at that point yet right and, and they're very pretty and they may lead you to believe because they, they seem to begin to have things in common right uh the vertical camera mm-hmm. arrangement that we see popping up on these things uh, yeah, you know, there, there are some things that that people feel strongly about, but even those things aren't entirely certain. Right. And th- there may be uh, things that Apple is considering that don't make the cut. Um, for example, last year we had a number of leaks showing a uh, magnetic smart connector port on the back of the iPhone Seven Plus, but not on the Seven. Now, of course, Apple is never going to tell us, but. The question becomes, was that some made up leak that just kept making the rounds and, you know, got caught in the echo chamber? So people bought it or was it actually something that Apple was considering and then ultimately decided not to put in the shipping product? Um, I think the second one is true for a number of reasons, but I don't know because Apple's not going to tell me. Right. And and we only find out about the validity of those kinds of things years later. Uh, right. A good example of that is the prototype of the first iPad that made it to eBay and then was, of course, taken down. You know, years and years ago, back in 2009, uh, early 2010, uh, there, there were schematics for an iPad that appeared to have two 30-pin connectors, mm-hmm. one for landscape and one for portrait. And... You know, I, we'd always sort of suspected that this was them trying to figure out which orientation was the default orientation of this device. And it wasn't until uh, that, that device made it to eBay that we found that there was a physical thing that actually had both connectors on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was interesting. I think the real treasure trove of those was from the Samsung patent infringement suit where Apple, through disclosure, revealed a number of designs and concepts for both the iPhone and iPad that never made it to market. All kinds of crazy stuff. Um, And it was really fascinating to look at and to kind of get a peek at uh, how their design process works. But certainly, again, for all the reasons that I detailed before, whether it's uh, parts, yields, uh, reliability, cost, whatever, um, you got to think that Apple has a handful of uh, different designs. They're, they're all probably very similar to one another. Um, probably the external chassis is locked down at this point, I would guess. But there might be some features here or there where they test it out and it doesn't pan out, you know? I mean, nobody wants to, at this point, I mean, not ever, but certainly not at this point, nobody wants to have a Samsung Galaxy Note issue, you know? Like, if Apple's going to put wireless charging into this phone, you'd be better sure that you're testing it, testing it, testing it. If it's not coming, if it's coming down to the wire and it's not working, they just got to yank that feature. Well, and I would say that if if the release is ostensibly September, October, November, 
that everything that's going to be made is already locked down by now. Right. Yes. Because and if something isn't panning out, then they might yank it, but they're not going to add anything at this point. Right. But but at this point, I, I would say that everything that's going to be yanked has probably also been yanked. This is the point where everything has to be stable and all of the deliveries of all of the parts have to start coming together. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost it's it's not too late, but it's almost too late to make any kind of change. Yeah, the, the rumor the is, you know, production they have ID, to have. Right. The rumor is, is with this Touch ID, they're still facing issues. Now, who knows how much lag effect there is on that? You know, maybe as of three months ago, they were having issues and they've since sorted out or made the decision, you know, as of today. We don't really know. Um, but you got to th- I mean, you're right. You got to think that they have this pretty much figured out at this point. We're in May. They're going to start ramping up production. Usually their time frame is June, July. Okay, so let's delay them a few months for the iPhone 8 because those are the rumors. So we're going to look at, you know, August, September, maybe October in in earnest manufacturing in, in a big way uh, if they're going to do an October, November launch. So, I mean, they're, they're at uh, make or break time right now. There's, decisions there's a calendar. There's a calendar and you have to work yeah. backwards and you know how many manufacturing lines you have open and what the yield is on device per day from those lines, right? And how many pieces of those lines are being pulled for testing to QC and make sure that they're all working, right? So that you can stop the line if you have a problem. Uh, it, it's 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 all very well laid out. There's, it's pretty there's, fascinating uh, when you think about it and, and how much we take take it for granted. The, the moving parts and the complexity and everything that needs to come together to put out a new iPhone every year is, is, is quite fascinating. Yeah, months in advance, all of the parts are purchased and reserved. And, you know, you, you don't have parts showing up at warehouses and, and manufacturing companies until it's ready to be go together for assembly. But you've, you've got mm-hmm. everything bought well in advance so that you don't risk a competitor coming in and saying, we're buying up all the supply. So mm-hmm. they've, they've purchased every part that they need well in advance and then once production starts coming together after they've done their evt and their pilot run those parts start arriving one of my favorite examples of how these things pan out is uh, it was many years ago i had just started working at apple insider actually and this was back when the ipod touch was still a big deal and uh apple had just introduced uh, a year prior the first forward-facing camera on the iphone 4 and so the expectation was that they were going to uh, put uh, a forward-facing camera on the iPod Touch that next year. And it was a done deal. The rumors had said for months, whatever. And we had a reliable source that came to us and said, uh, Apple got some bad parts. And this was like maybe three weeks before the iPod Touch was announced. And they said, Apple's got some bad parts. And they pulled the forward-facing camera from the iPod Touch. And I was not sure about it. But, I mean, this guy that we had was reliable, um, or girl. And uh, uh, we... Um, uh, ran the story, and sure enough, the iPod Touch shipped without a camera. But what made it really interesting was nobody knew until iFixit, of course, got their hands on it and took a look. And sure enough, there was a place in that iPod Touch for a camera, but there were no, there was no camera in there. And Apple, the parts just didn't pan out, and so they said, okay, well, we're scrapping it. And that was it, and they shipped it without one. And the same thing was true of the, the iPod to that, the previous to that, the third generation iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. which was also meant to have a rear-facing camera. And when you took the back off, there was a great cavity for a rear-facing camera, but no camera. Yep. And uh, the, the people who came out the best on that deal were InCase, because InCase had made a, a case with a honeycomb arrangement that coincidentally had one of the holes line up with exactly where the rear-facing camera would have been. 
But since the whole case was honeycombed, it didn't matter. They could continue to sell that case for the device that had no camera. Everyone else who'd made one had a camera hole, had to scrap the cases. Yes, that's my big it's story. Always, <laughs> well, it's always funny when these, you know, uh, these case manufacturers, there have been a few high-profile cases of them making uh, cases for devices uh, based on designs that don't really come to market, you know? And in some in some cases no pun intended on the word choice there um they they do this on purpose because it gets them some publicity so you're not an apple authorized manufacturer you're just you know joe case maker or whatever and you can make it based on a design and then get some hype for your product that no one would have heard of otherwise um and put it out there so it's like a strategic move in some ways um so you know it's it's uh it's interesting to see how this whole ecosystem works of companies that rely on Apple, whether they're supplying them or selling accessories for them or whatever. Yeah. When it comes to cases, it's an interesting one because there's there's this crushing pressure, this huge amount of pressure to be in stores on launch day because that's when people are going to buy a, a case for certain, right? Right. They, they walk in, they buy the device. They're not leaving there without the attached sale of a case and a screen protector. Right. And so... If you're one of the many case manufacturers that is still an, you know, a partner of Apple, but not so close a partner that you got the schematics prior to the release of the device through official channels, let's say, um, you make a case based on what your best guess is from the knowledge that your factory shares with you. Right. And yes, it's through unofficial channels, but you go ahead and and do that so that you can be available on launch day. And you run into some interesting problems where when Apple catches you at this, they'll say something like, um, you got that information through unofficial channels. And so now you're not going to be in Apple retail stores for X amount of time or, you know, some other form of punishment, right? You know, there's, there's different things that Apple can do for favored suppliers and, and suppliers that fall out of disfavor. And uh, so you have to be very careful if you're in that kind of manufacturing position, you know, you, you need to, to balance the, what you do with the information you have, right? It's a, uh, it's a very tricky position sometimes. And it, it's, it's interesting to think too about, how drastically these things can affect these companies like you know um you you look at a company like obviously gt advance is a great example there's just to be a sapphire supplier for apple and they couldn't meet apple's demands and 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 quality expectations and they went out of business um but even if you're just a a, you know a company like samsung that used to make all the cpus for apple and now apple switched over tsmc i'm sure it's a huge effect on their business um and then if you're a case maker uh, how does it affect you if the iPhone 8 is going to be available in limited quantities and won't launch until November? You know, how how does that affect your business? If, if you depend on Apple to get that phone out in September and to sell 15 million of them in a weekend and, you know, you'll have, you know, sell hundreds of thousands of cases or whatever. Um, how does that how does that hurt your business? How does that affect you? Yeah. And it can mess up your whole quarter if it's not uh, as you expect or forecast. Exactly. And you mentioned TSMC. So TSMC has, uh, and we have we have this story that we ran. This is TSMC started production of the 10, million, 10 nanometer A11 chip to support this rumored iPhone 8. Mm-hmm. So this this ties right in with what we're talking about in terms of, you know, when when do parts manufacturing start? When does the whole device manufacturing start? Well, the... Uh, 
this this story in part comes from Digitimes. So you know, take take that part with a, a grain of salt. That was the part where Digitimes said that uh, supply was limited, or there there were problems initially with the components. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, every piece of information that we have says that it's all been resolved. If there ever was a problem to begin with, um, Ming Chu Kuo, KGI analyst says that production may start as late as October or November, like you just said, um, mm-hmm. which means that the mass production has to happen uh, in around mid-June to July, right? TSMC has to go mass production around June, and Foxconn, who makes these phones, end up going into mass production around July. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you can I, kind I, of work backwards with the calendar. I see, I see something funny, too, a lot of times with... Um, uh, commenters who will read an article about potential delays for upcoming products, or uh, they'll read about uh, limited at launch. It will be extremely limited at launch, and they say, "We always read this every year, and it never happens." Well, it does happen. <laughs> You're just not thinking at the scale that 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 oh. Apple is dealing with. Like Apple may ship, you know, seven million iPhone seven pluses last year at launch, or whatever they shipped. But that product remained difficult to get throughout the holidays, especially in the jet black uh, finish. Um, so was it constrained at launch? Absolutely, yes. Now, you may have pre-ordered, woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning when it became available for pre-order and got it on launch day, and you didn't experience an issue, but you have to step outside of your own personal experiences and realize that uh, for other people, they couldn't walk into a store and get one, and that is how the vast majority of people buy iPhones. The same happened with the Apple Watch. The same happened with a lot of products when they came out. Uh, the Apple Watch was in constraint for, I think, like five months or something. Well, look at AirPods now, right? I mean, um, you know, th- those uh, were delayed, uh, didn't make it to market until right before Christmas. You still can't get them at the store. Well, so, there are two things that happen here, right? One of them is that you, you first of all, you start out with lower production when you first turn on the, manu- the, the, the manufacturing lines. And you do mm-hmm. that so that you can catch any problems, right? You, you, you right. do slightly lower yield your first week because you're trying to make sure that you, you spot potential problems and you solve for them. Mm-hmm. The other thing that happens is that you, you, you try and open up additional lines to account for this kind of, of demand. So you open up additional lines, you open up additional factories, right? Foxconn and Apple also work with Pegatron and Wistron to assemble. They're yeah. hiring additional people so that they'll be ready to meet this demand. But mm-hmm. when you turn on these lines, you've got to have all of the tooling and all of the other machines to support these product lines. So there's that's a cost that has to be accounted for in a time to build those things. Mm-hmm. And you have to... Uh, you know, you have to staff them, so you have to train the people that are going to do these things. So it's it's all got time attached to it. We just don't feel yeah, it at well, the retail end as much. We feel it a little bit initially. You know, as you say, they're constrained supply. But this is a knock-on effect that started months back. Right. Tell me about Inotech. What do we know about LG and Inotech? I say that without giving you enough hint. Um, so... Oh, the facial recognition story. Sorry, I have to yes, go the facial recognition story. Figure we're out still talking which iPhone eight. <laughs> Let me just yeah, throw some company um, names out there to surprise you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. First, I was thinking Inatech was. Uh, um, uh, isn't that the name of the the company from um, uh, Office Space? Spelled differently. I N I T E C H. What a great company name, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go. L G Inatech I N N O T E K. 
Um, they are supposedly supplying the facial recognition camera modules for the iPhone 8. Um, so last year on the iPhone 7 Plus, uh, they introduced a new dual camera system. Um, one of those cameras uh, being a uh, 2x uh, telescopic zoom, whatever you want to call it, and then the other being a traditional camera. And between the two of them, they could do some advanced and interesting stuff. Um, so now, this year, they're expected to bring a dual camera system to the front, the FaceTime cameras. Um, and this is believed to open up the an avenue for Apple to... Uh, includes some form of augmented reality, 3D facial recognition technology uh, in this year's iPhone, which could have a number of potential applications, um, including uh, you know the ability to map things over your face. Like you look at the kind of stuff that Snapchat's doing, but imagine that in a more advanced way. Um, but also the ability to recognize a user, unlock the phone, potentially even fast user switching, access to apps and features, that sort of stuff. Um, Think about what Touch ID currently does, but in a, uh, a way that is even more seamless than it has been done to date, um, and potentially with more features and, and more security as well. Um, there's another um, report uh, that is uh, out there as well about those cameras, uh, suggesting that uh, the lenses on the front could be uh, different focal lengths. Um, which would, again, like the rear cameras, give the front-facing cameras different sensing capabilities um, and kind of uh, allow uh, for it to do unique things. Um, so two cameras offers a lot of uh, capabilities for capturing in three dimensions, obviously, like we have two eyes. Um, so it, I think that you're going to see, as Apple it shows, and, and Tim Cook has publicly said that Apple is very interested in augmented reality, um, th this is uh, something that they are going to continue pursuing with both hardware and software. And as we're gearing up for iPhone 8, you're getting the hardware rumors. And so um, LG Inatech has apparently been tapped to make these cameras for the front-facing camera. We won't really have an idea of how it's all going to work until we see the software side of it, which is the part that's easier for Apple to keep under wraps because they don't outsource that. Yeah. One of the things that I, I observe is... You know, we, we hear a lot from commenters and from, from especially people who are fans of other platforms. You know, App, Apple did this second. Apple did this third, right? Someone else did it first. And so I always kind of keep my eye out to see what it was that, that someone might use to, to explain that. And it occurs to me that the Amazon Fire Phone had multiple cameras on its face first. Yeah, and how'd that, that work out for him? Um, brilliantly. It, it was <laughs> it was outstanding, I would say. Um it, and then, meanwhile, this week they announced a thing that looks the, like a chumbi uh, that's going to sit on your. <laughs> I mean, it does look like a chumbi. That's a really good comparison. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're good for Amazon for for uh, getting some hardware into people's homes and all that, but pff, whatever. Well, I think one of the issues with Fire Phone, without going too deep into it, was that they they had these four cameras, and they used them for two reasons, one of them for Amazon's advantage and one to no one's advantage, right? They, they put four cameras mm -hmm. on the front so that you could scan super cool stuff to buy on Amazon, which, well, you know, that's nice and all, but life is a little bit bigger than that. Uh, right. and, and the other thing that they did was they had the four cameras so that it could understand where you were holding it and orienting it and that they would scroll based on how you were holding it. So if you rotated it, in a in a sort of vertical plane backwards, 
uh, that that it would then scroll. And um, well, let's not forget that Amazon has no deal. real experience or meaningful experience developing software, and so Fire OS, whether you're on an Amazon tablet or, or on the defunct phone, uh, is not doing them any favors. And and you see this in many ways with Samsung too. Uh, Samsung. For all the uh, the crap that they get from Apple fans, is a pretty fantastic hardware company. Um, especially even if you you know uh, are buying into the whole you know uh, the slavish copying you know uh, narrative that Apple puts out there, which a lot of it is true. But uh, the ability to which they can uh, copy very quickly, you know, they they come out with a phone that looks a lot like the iPhone, including like where they put the the antenna lines and stuff. Um, uh, in you a very dispute, very, they can make some hardware. They can make some hardware, but the software side of it, you know, TouchWiz and overlays on Android and Teasin and all this other stuff and, and, and their uh, watch and platform. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, software is really, really hard. And that's one of the things that Apple does that uh, doesn't get enough attention or credit. Certainly their, their hardware design is best in class. Um, reliable, functional, uh, beautiful, but the software for all the problems that it has, uh, it is has some. really, Hey, all software has problems and all hardware has problems too, but man, uh, Apple makes some really, really great software and nobody else out there is really competing with Apple on that front. I don't think. And I would say that that can be part of the problem, right? We criticize Apple routinely for for issues with software and for what feels like neglect because we were spoiled by how good it was right. and uh I, I would say that they had a lot stronger competition they they, they were a lot more uh un, you know they felt like they had stronger competition at those times when it was better well like you look at um so Apple, uh, well, Microsoft actually announced this week that uh, Apple is going to release iTunes on the Windows Store. And the main reason I have to assume that this is happening is because uh, Win- Microsoft is bringing Windows 10 S to market soon. Um, and it's only going to allow apps from the micro- or from the Windows Store to be installed on it. Um, and this goes to show how difficult software is to do. Um, and And... The troubles faced by, I mean, say what you will about Microsoft, but obviously a software first company um, have been pretty successful at doing that. Uh, they took a look at the education market and and problems with Windows and realized, how do we really lock down and secure Windows? Don't allow people to install third-party apps from anywhere but our storefront. Hmm, who who, who did that which, on a big scale for the first time? sounds hmm. great, except that it means you have to curate that store properly. And Which I is would, something that Apple's been doing on iOS since 2008. Right, so, but I would suggest that Microsoft hasn't done as good a job of curating their store and policing their store. Probably. I, I haven't experienced uh, the Microsoft store, so I can't, I can't say. But it is funny because they made this announcement last week, and they're getting Apple on board with iTunes, which is great. I mean, there's, you know, however you feel about Microsoft, it's good that, that these options are out there. Well, and this isn't um, the first time that it's, Apple's it's participated funny in someone else's store, right? They, they've got the uh, move to iOS and Apple Music on the Google Play Store as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you know... Software is very hard to do, and and Microsoft took a look at the landscape, and they took a look at their options, and they ended up doing something that Apple has done definitely on iOS and to a lesser extent on Mac, and they made it so that you can 
only install, if you have Windows 10S, stores from their storefront. Now, Apple hasn't gone that extreme. And what's really interesting to me about this is, could you imagine, I mean, if you get a new Mac now, right, and you set it up right out of the box, by default, it only lets you install third-party apps from outside of the App Store if you go into the settings of your Mac, uh, so the security, and allow apps downloaded from outside. Um, and then even then, um, if you make it so that uh, unidentified developers can have stuff installed, you still have to enter your administrator password. And that helps cut down on malware, viruses, whatever, right? Um, but you can make it so that you can lock down a Mac and so you can only install stuff from the App Store, which is essentially what Microsoft doing with Windows 10. It's the default way that it ships, right? It ships only for right. Mac Store. Yeah, Mac App Store. Right. And so um, if, if, if Apple did what Microsoft is doing right now, uh, th- that would be charging $50 to be able to install apps from outside of the App Store. Could you imagine the outrage that people would have for that? I mean, I realize Apple doesn't charge for their operating systems and whatever, but but Microsoft is going to be charging people a $50 fee to be able to install apps from outside wait, of the Microsoft wait, Store. Let me ask, because the way that, as I understood it, Windows 10S works is that people can switch between 10S and uh, Windows 10 Professional pretty seamlessly. And that, that this, I was under the impression, perhaps wrongly, that this $50 fee was the the trigger to be able to switch from 10s which is locked right. down to professional which is not right exactly it's a fifty dollar fee to upgrade to change which is the only way to install to the other product which is the only way to install apps from outside of the app store okay i'm 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 not as offended by that idea as as you might think. And the reason for that is that Microsoft has always charged a license fee, fee for their operating system in all the different versions at different price rates for the different variations of them. Uh, there was a time when Apple charged for two different versions of the operating system. That The, the base operating system was 129 and the server version was about 1,000. Uh, you know, those days are long gone now for Apple, but it was it was very much accepted to pay a licensing fee for an operating system and to pay the difference to get up to another level or even to just buy I'm the not license really again by it. I'm just saying I'm just saying could you imagine the outcry if they did that uh, on Mac yes especially since the Mac App Store for all it's good is is not nearly as plentiful as as the third party ecosystem for Mac has always been and it's not as advantageous for developers as it could be. There, there are plenty of developers who distribute both in and outside of the Mac App Store, and there are plenty of third-party developers who have decided to distribute only outside of the Mac App Store after having distributed through it. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't fulfill their needs, right? There, there are things missing about the Mac App Store that the iOS App Store even has. So it's it's uh, it's and it's it's getting more and more difficult for a third party developer to necessarily survive, uh, especially on say iOS only. So for to survive one, in one Mac App Store only would be difficult too. One thing I find interesting about this is uh, Microsoft does have some apps on the Mac App Store, but they do not have Microsoft Office on the Mac App Store. Well, they have they have. Hmm, that's interesting. They have OneNote and OneDrive. OneNote, OneDrive, and Remote Desktop, mm-hmm. which isn't an Office application per se, but you can certainly 
lump it in there with other things. And um, RMS sharing and uh, syncing for the defunct Microsoft band. Uh, and also the Windows Phone application so you can sync with the defunct Windows Phone. Not seeing it on the App Store right now. I'm looking right now. I pulled it up on the App Store. There are only five apps, and there's nothing for Windows Phone on here. They may have pulled Maybe it. Maybe they rolled it into OneDrive or something. It's possible they pulled it as well, but I, I used to get that app through it's the possible. App Store. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't put Office on there. Office is a weird one, though, because Office has changed to be a subscription service. And so... You know, you'd think they would put it on there as the download and then sell the subscription as an in-app purchase, but they don't want to give that subscription purchase, uh, you know, the 30% cut to Apple. That's probably why they keep it out, huh? Maybe, but I mean, you can get Office on iOS, so... You certainly can. Well, I just find it all funny because Microsoft and Apple, uh, even though they are competitors um, and certainly with their newly announced uh, weird fuzzy laptop, uh, the cloth-topped uh, keyboard uh, that they announced last week. Um, they're, they're, while they are competitors uh, and, and, they, and Microsoft directly positioned that, that laptop against the MacBook Air, which is like a laptop that has been updated in like two years, uh, the companies are kind of strange bedfellows now. Um, in some ways um, that I find uh, uh, interesting. They're both kind of like the privacy advocates now. And you see this <laughs> alignment between Apple and Microsoft with Bing Search being the native for Siri um, and now iTunes coming to the, the Windows Store and all that stuff. And it's funny to see where their corporate interests and, and philosophies align. Um, and as the rise of Google and Facebook and all these other companies has been going on and companies that don't really have any respect for your privacy. Uh, Microsoft and, and Apple have become kind of strange bedfellows in this like privacy consumer focused world. It is interesting. It's kind of strange. Um, you know, one of the other things that happened was that Microsoft launched Visual Studio for Mac. So now there's a Microsoft mm -hmm. development tool that runs native on Mac to create apps for Mac OS, iOS, tvOS, watchOS, and Android, as well as web and cloud apps. Uh, it's got Git integration for GitHub. It's got uh, extension system. And it's this is this is the work basically of uh, Miguel de Acasa, who did uh, Xamarin for so long. That's really what's what's behind it and Xamarin kind of apps for iOS for years. So this, that's that's how what's under the hood here for uh, for Visual Studio. Do you think this means that we'll get Xcode on Windows? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to answer it like this: Xcode that compiles for Windows has existed for years and years, and that's how we have iTunes for Windows, and and it right. it predates that even because before OS 10 was Mac OS 10, it was Next. And Next had uh, a thing called Yellowbox that ran Next applications on Windows. Mm -hmm. And so Objective-C and the, uh, the frameworks exist for Windows. It would take a heck of a lot for Apple to update everything else to make it work on Windows. But it's, it, it exists, and it could be done. It'll never happen. You, you will see Xcode on the Apple Watch before you see it on Windows. I, I just want to point out that the Steve Jobs relevant quote for this point is that um, 
you'd have a glass of ice water in hell when iTunes was released on Windows, and it was. <laughs> no, 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 you have the quote. Well, wrong. great, give it to me. People running iTunes on the people running iTunes on Windows, it's like giving them a glass of ice water in hell. He had he was carrying the glass of ice water at the time that he said that, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and he was saying that they love having right. iTunes on Windows because it allows people on the Windows platform to see what good software is like. Which that, thanks iTunes is not exactly the best example <laughs> at the of, time. Of it was Apple great. software prowess. <laughs> at the time, it made a lot of sense. <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that iTunes has ever been great, but I mean, it's a bonus. Yeah, I want to thank you for the correction. For sure. And, you know, I, I wish that Apple would make iTunes great again, but um, they just need to split it up. Yeah, well, it's it's we, we've come a long way, right? That was that was the time when you had to have iTunes and a cable and synchronize music directly to an iPod, and we've cut the cord. We're using phones instead of. Uh, Instead of iPods, a lot's changed, and never mind all the other stuff that's been jammed into iTunes since the intervening time when it was only originally for music, and then movies, and then apps, and everything else. Well, that's one of the things I find interesting about Apple having the incentive to bring iTunes to Windows. There are the obvious uses for it, like uh, you know, downloading uh, stuff on iTunes, uh, your Apple Music subscription, whatever. Um, and Apple wants to get people tied in those services as well. But I wonder. How much of that is people that are not only still setting up their iPhone or iPad or syncing by plugging it in either through habit or preference or they don't like the cloud or whatever. And how many, I wonder how many like ancient iPods are still out there in circulation and you got to sync to it somehow. And like people are still using them. Um, I know like my parents still like work out with their iPods and stuff, you know, um, yeah, running that sort of stuff. I, I I wonder I wonder how many people need iTunes because they're syncing their music to like an old iPod Nano or something. I would not be surprised if that market is in the tens of millions of people still doing that easily. Because think about how many iPods Apple sold over the lifetime of that product. I mentioned that the Apple Watch is about to get worse a second ago, and we published a big story about this while you and I were together in New York for the Adorama event. So, what is what is the deal with Apple Watch apps? I mean, take take me through a little bit of the history, right? We we had this this the watch as a platform, and they said go and make apps, and people went forth and they made apps, and the apps were always a little clunky and kind of hard to use. Is that about right? Yeah, Apple Watch. Um, it, it's become a thing now where you know Apple can't really launch a platform without having an app store on it. Uh, because the App Store has become so crucial to the success of iOS that naturally it would lend itself well to other devices and people want to have apps on there. And so it makes sense. Um, And Apple kind of pushed the Apple Watch as... There was a lot of hype for it, obviously. um, And it pushed it as this uh, platform that was going to be, you know, potentially the next big thing for apps. Uh, Just a big deal. Bring your apps over. And the first generation of Apple Watch, Watch OS 1, um, the, the apps didn't even run natively on the device. They had to be, they, all the processing was done by the iPhone. They were very conservative with the battery life and attempting to squeeze every little bit of it that they could. Um, and the, the experience was terrible. Uh, the experience has since gotten a lot better, um, but the apps still, and I have to assume that this is something to do with Apple. Um, and their software development kit and is not just poor developers because a lot of the apps just crash. They just do unless they're native apps. So I think that there's some kinks to be worked out with the software development kit. Um, but uh, also there's just the the question of utility of apps. Uh, there are certain apps that came to the Apple Watch that 
uh, don't really offer a lot of value and most people probably would not be using them on a regular basis. It just makes more sense to pull your phone out of your pocket. Um, now, some of that could be changing going forward. Certainly, I expect that the watch development kit is going to get better. Certainly, I expect that developers are going to figure out better uses for their apps. And I could also see more utility for certain apps that don't make sense when your phone is always on you with a watch that does not require a phone. So maybe I don't want to read the news on my watch when my phone is in my pocket, but maybe I don't have my phone on me and I want to read the news. And then it makes a little bit more sense. However, all of that is to say that... Uh, uh, Apple Watch recently lost some major uh, apps. Um, uh, chief among them, Google Maps, um, is just pulled from the Apple Watch. And uh, what's really funny about this to me is uh, this happened and nobody realized it. Like it just completely went unnoticed. And so, I, so what happened is you go to your, your your app store automatically updates your apps for you on your phone because that's the default right. kind of setting, right? And so Google Maps issues an update and your phone automatically updates and the next thing you know, it's not on your watch. Right. So you don't even realize it, if especially if you're not using it, especially if you're not going to the, the app uh, uh, honeycomb layout or whatever um, to look for apps and stuff. It just uninstalls and you just wouldn't notice because it's tied to the iOS app. So other ones that joined Google Maps were Amazon and eBay. Um, and they just don't have Apple Watch apps anymore. Um, uh, Target last year pulled its uh, Apple Watch app, although they still offer their cartwheel app. And... Some of these being pulled make sense, right? Um, who wants to shop on Amazon with your watch? Well, I um, mean, you say that, but here's what I want is I want delivery notifications or shipping notifications. Correct. Right? So, but you can so still if get I bought something on Amazon, I, I want my watch to let me know that something shipped or something's delivered. You can delivered, still get right? those without the app running natively because you get all of your iPhone notifications on your watch. So, Okay. Um if, if we're talking about eBay, which is a similar kind of thing because they're both shopping kind of apps, I, I want the notification that auction is ending in 15 minutes and I better go, you know, bid up on it, right? Right. And you can get that notification. You just can't do anything with it. So you'll get the notification on your watch that uh, your bid is ending and um, you got to pull your phone out or go to your computer or whatever. So a lot of that is is uh, is intentional. You know, I think that these companies may have just realized that the way that people are using their watches is not necessarily interacting with them. It's more for glancing at your wrist, getting notifications. And, and I've said this many times. I think that the Apple Watch works best the less that you have to interact with it. Uh, it works best with Apple Pay. It works best with Siri. It works best with notifications, those sorts of things. But if I have to pick up my watch and start pressing a bunch of stuff on it, the screen is too small, the interface is too limited, the device is too slow for it to really work in any sort of meaningful way. It's a device that you want to glance at, get the information that you want, and then move on with your day. And and the things that do that work great. Uh, things that work in the background, fitness tracking, pulse tracking, whatever. That's the kind of area where it excels. Um, and Bill, Bill Geyser likes you a lot. You know that, right? <laughs> Bill, I, I Bill think is that the guy behind the uh, the meta watch and he's now at yeah. hp making hp smart watches and, and the idea he always had was that the smartest watch is the one where you glance at it and that's your computing with it you don't you don't interact in other ways it's just 
you glance and that's what you need. And and the Meta Watch was a product that I really liked before the Apple Watch came out because they got that idea of glanceability. And Apple gets that as well with complications on the watch face. It's the information that you want right now with limited need to interact with it. You look down, you want to check the time, you want to check the weather, you want to check uh, you know, the news, you want to whatever, you can put it on a complication on your watch face and you can get it right there when you need it without having to really spend a lot of time messing around with it. So, you know, th- I think that Google Maps being lost on there, while it was a terrible Apple Watch app, is a, is a loss for Apple because a lot of people use Google Maps for transit um, and for driving and that sort of stuff. Um, and I would hope, and Google has said, said in a statement that they're going to bring it back to the Apple Watch, I would hope that it comes back better than ever. I think that some of these apps are going to have more utility when the Apple Watch becomes a more independent platform, and I would hope that the likes of Amazon and and eBay would revisit and find ways to do them uh, that might be more meaningful. Um, And I think that Apple, you know, this is an example of two where uh, Apple needs to do something about uh, jumping even more so. They've done a great job of improving it, but they need to make it even better to open apps, jump between apps, you know, to make it more seamless and, and more natural. The fact that major apps were removed from the Apple Watch and nobody noticed, you know, it's like... It, it's kind of indicative, if, isn't it? <laughs> if if a forest noticed, falls in the trees matter, and no one's right? there, you know? Yeah, like it shows you how infrequently people were using these things. And even myself as an avid Apple Watch user, um, there are some great third-party apps for Apple Watch, but they are few and far between. There are not a lot of them. Um, my my favorite third-party apps, um, I have complications on my watch face for Carrot Weather and for um, Nike Plus Run Club. Um, and I also got to use the Slopes app earlier this year when I went skiing. And those are all fantastic really, really well done Apple Watch apps that I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, however, the likes of Amazon, you know, <laughs> whatever. If you really need it, fine. But I, I just don't see the the utility of that. All right. This episode is brought to you by Jamf Now. When you first start your business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your own computer and phone. But as you grow and start to buy more tech for your employees, it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads. Thankfully, Jamf Now lets you manage your Apple devices from anywhere. Maybe you need to secure the iPad that your sales rep lost when you're in different locations. Well, Jamf Now makes that, and a lot more, much easier. Configure settings, protect sensitive information, even lock or wipe a device from anywhere. Jamf Now secures your stuff so you can focus on your business instead. No IT expertise needed. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can start securing your business today by setting up your first three devices for free. Add more for just two bucks a month per device. Go to jamf.com slash Apple Insider to create a free account and set up your first three free devices today. That's J-A-M-F dot com slash Apple Insider. So, Neil, your your opinion here. What do you think about USB-C? Uh, I like USB-C a lot. I think that um, it's going to be a painful transition for a lot of people, but uh, I don't think it's as painful as some folks think it's going to be as well. Um, I think that uh, it, the in the long run, it's going to be a very good thing for computers and for Macs. Okay, so you like it. So how do you feel about it on your iPhone? I think it's a terrible idea, and I don't think it'll ever happen. <laughs> ah, I knew that was coming. So <laughs> so let's. this is something that you and I get asked about, and let, let's right. just go over the reasons really quickly why we're not getting USB-C on an iPhone, why Lightning is the way for iOS devices. Okay, so for starters... Uh, it's very difficult for some people who are 
very invested in technology and spend all their time on Apple Insider and other similar websites to understand that there's a big difference between us, the nerds, and the casual users. The casual users still haven't gotten over the switch from 30 pin to lightning. Uh, it was only a couple of years ago that Tim Cook was on Stephen Colbert's program and Stephen Colbert jokingly threatened him and said, if you change the connector on this phone again, I'm going to kill you. Um, so Apple can't ditch lightning for a number of reasons, but that's probably the biggest one. The people would flip out. You think that ditching the headphone connector was a big deal? Getting rid of lightning might even be a bigger deal for some people, um, especially now. If you think about them switching to USB-C, nobody has USB-C. You know, there are a handful of USB-C devices out there. They're 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 here and there. They're starting to come to market, but most people are just going to go, "Oh, great, another connector." You know, and they're going to be using micro USB or mini USB and lightning and all these different things for all their different devices. That alone is is the worst reason for Apple to do it, um, and and it's just it's not going to happen for a number of reasons. But that's the biggest one. Okay. What else should we know about it, right? Because I know that we have on the 12-inch iPad, it's got the USB 3 controller so that it can charge quickly and do faster data transfer. Uh, Correct. So you can um, you can actually get USB-C capabilities through Lightning. And so when we say that we'll see USB-C on the iPhone probably this year, um, and an iPad shipping and stuff like that. What that means is it's going to be a USB-C connector on one end, plugging into uh, either your Mac that has USB-C or a wall adapter that could go up to potentially, in the case of the iPad Pro, 29 watts. Uh, actually, the same wall adapter that comes for the 12-inch MacBook. Um, now, that has higher uh, tran- d- uh, uh, transfer speeds for both data and for power, um, and it charges the 12.9-inch iPad Pro over USB 3 technology much, much faster. Would not be surprised if we see that capability in the iPhone 8 and 7S coming later this year. Uh, quick charge capabilities. Imagine plugging in your iPhone for five minutes and getting like a 50% charge or something like that. Oh, I, I, I can imagine. I don't know if that's what we'll get. I have a Nexus 6P with USB-C, and it charges that fast. Right. I, I so, can't wait for it to be on iPhone. That that is going to be a big deal for a lot of people, um, and that is something that does not necessitate a switch to the USB C connector. It can be done with the existing Lightning technology. Yet another reason that they don't need to switch to the USB C and, and won't, because the USB C connector would mean that everybody's legacy Lightning cables just wouldn't work, and they wouldn't be able to charge, and they wouldn't be able to sync, and they wouldn't be able to do anything. They'd have to buy all new connectors. So. Um, that is another reason. Uh, Lightning is actually about comparable to USB-C in terms of size, but it's a little bit thinner. Um, it's also uh, more durable than USB-C in, in some ways, based on the current design and current ports. Um, and really, the only thing that you need to look at, um, Apple kind of tipped their their hand on this uh, the last couple of years. Um, and I think that they wanted to uh, in a not, not so subtle way, reinforce that Lightning was here to stay, and they continue to introduce accessories that are dependent on Lightning. Uh, most recently, the AirPods shipped with a Lightning connector for charging. Uh, the Apple Pencil has a Lightning connector for charging, a male one. Um, the uh, Siri remote for Apple TV has a female Lightning port for charging. So, um, Apple would not have continued to bring lightning to all these iOS connected accessories uh, if they were planning on ditching lightning. So it would be shocking and 
absolutely unexpected if they embraced USB-C this year. I know a lot of people want it. I saw somebody comment on our Facebook page earlier like that they couldn't wait for Apple to announce USB-C later this year and prove all of our BS wrong or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> please do tell. Um, but there are just so many reasons that they're not going to do it. Um, but Apple's doubling down on Lightning is another example of them really saying, this is the port that is here to stay for our iOS connected devices. So I think what you're going to see going forward is USB-C for Mac, Lightning for iOS devices, and other parts of that ecosystem, tvOS, that sort of thing. Um, and then um, I think that what you'll see is rather than switching to USB-C, they'll just get rid of the ports entirely. And then any cables will... Uh, either attach through, you know, well, contactless magnetic charging or contact pads or whatever. Um, I think that you'll see that sort of stuff. The current Apple TV does have USB-C, but again, that's for developers, professional users, whatever. And I think that, o- again, continues, betas, basically. that continues to draw that distinction between what consumers are going to do, what you're going to do on a Mac, that sort of thing. So yeah. um, USB-C will be here to stay. It's not going anywhere, but it's not going to be coming to iOS devices anytime soon um, for the reasons that we just explained. Yes. And I would expect that rather than ever doing USB-C, they would just get rid of the lightning port entirely and go to completely wireless data syncing and contact-based charging. Now, we, we ran a story that I want to touch on because this is, uh, th- this is one, if you've been using a Mac for ages, will resonate with you. Uh, Sonnet, which is a name that you'll know if you were using Mac during the PowerPC era, that that time Mm -hmm. between, let's say, 1998, uh, 1997, 1998, and uh, 2006. Sonnet used to make all kinds of of adapters and things. You could get FireWire cards from them. I think there were uh, processor upgrades for Power Macs back in the day. They were they were one of a few couple companies that really supported Mac users during what we call the dark times of Apple, mm-hmm. and they're still around. To to honestly, my great surprise because I hadn't realized um, they have <laughs> added a product to their lineup. It's a breakout box that allows you to add three PCIe cards on Thunderbolt three, so you can go ahead and connect this box to your new MacBook Pro and put in graphic cards, put in uh, networking cards, other kinds of cards that take PCIe. Uh, these are the uh, the X8 slots. They aren't X16, but they're that that uh, perfectly capable kind of thing for for adding cards to your Thunderbolt 3 Mac. I I think it's cool. It's it's one of those things that um, that really resonates with me seeing companies that supported Apple through the dark times still around still doing it. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm that's really uh, excited about the prospect of external GPUs and, and cards and accessories for pro users on Macs. We need to see some level of software support for it. I understand why Apple doesn't want to make these accessories, but they need to support them. And we really need to get some form of comprehensive GPU support that goes beyond what is built in and, and what is offered in the current product lineup. External GPU support can be hacked together, but the moment that Apple starts just allowing people to kind of run free and connect whatever high-powered GPU they want externally, uh, the technology is there, the bandwidth is there, the capability is there. We just need the software support in macOS. So please, Apple, come on, do it for us. Yes. Now, we ran a story on a patent that talked about Siri integration with messages. Uh, what, do, what do you know about this? 
So, I mean, you know, Apple explores a lot of uh, uh, concepts uh, and different ideas that don't necessarily make it to market. But this is one that that was pretty interesting, and I think that uh, is an application that you could see uh, becoming uh, sort of a reality. Um, and it talks about integrating Siri into iMessage, essentially allowing users to participate in text-based exchanges with the AI. So. Uh, imagine a scenario in which you don't want to talk to your phone or your computer or whatever, but you want to get information, um, and so uh, you would instead type it to Siri. Now, chatbots like this, as they're called, are becoming increasingly popular. Facebook is investing in them. Other companies are doing uh, AI-driven stuff with this. And it's really just an extension of what's already being done with voice, except instead of being voice first, it's just based through text. And right. you can see a lot of situations where this would be valuable. You know, you're in a public place and you don't want to be yapping away to Siri. Um, you are, want to be discreet about it, whatever. Um, and it's a way to, it, it, uh, to get information. But also, uh, one of the key aspects of Siri that uh, is important going forward for Apple as they compete with Google is um, it negates the need to open a browser and to search Google. Uh, denies Google advertising revenue, doesn't allow them to collect information from you. Apple, as we mentioned, has been partnering with Microsoft Bing to return search results. Imagine if you wanted to get the kinds of things that Google returns now, like events going on or, uh, you know, multiple, simple multiplication or division or currency conversion or whatever. Imagine if you could just type that into an iMessage with Siri um, in your messages application and get the answers that you want uh, immediately and, and reliably. Uh, so this this seems like something that I could actually see Apple doing. Right. So when I first started thinking about this, I was considering it in the way that Google uses their Google Assistant, which is you can certainly do right. this sort of, of either one-way voice conversation where you talk and Google Assistant answers in text or or no voice where you're just typing to the Assistant and it responds back in, in text. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you see the stream of the conversation where traditionally when you're using Siri, uh, it's sort of like a temporary lock screen almost where that that conversation is ephemeral and goes away you can't consult the history of it the thing that google assistant does is that it integrates with messages and with uh, google allo which is one of their many text messaging applications and so you can be having a conversation with someone else and then the assistant will answer things for you as a part of that conversation here, Apple, because but there are privacy concerns with doing that, because now you have to expose your conversation with another human being to assistant. Apple, mm-hmm. it looks like from this patent, are not doing that, where what, what's instead happening right. is that they're treating Siri as if it were another separate individual. What I don't know is if, just the same way that you can do multiple people in a chat, if you can add Siri to a chat like that. You, you know how I mean? That, yeah, that would be interesting and also potentially chaotic. Yes. <laughs> but good <laughs> chaotic evil yeah. chaotic good yeah <laughs> yeah you totally could do that you could totally add the that's part of the patent actually as we look through it mm-hmm. and it makes sense because if you're saying you know where should we go should we go have Chinese then you can ask Siri where is the nearest Chinese or where is the best Chinese and, and arrange those kinds of things it um, yeah you could even um, imagine in the way that iMessage has grown with dedicated buttons for voice memos and uh uh, apps and that sort of stuff, uh, integrating Siri as a dedicated button or app into um, into a message window, um, and you could, you know, in- invoke information and share it with somebody directly from there. There are there are all kinds of ways of doing this that uh, 
that would make a lot of sense. In, in other sort of AI news, Apple's got work on being able to identify objects within photos. So this is one of those things that uh, has been in iOS for some time now, and people don't realize it. Uh, it's a feature that doesn't really get used. And so I was, you know, we try to come up with tips and little tricks that you can get through your iPhone and your Mac and whatever that people don't realize. And this is something that, like, whenever I mention it to friends and stuff, they don't realize that it, that it works. And so I published it um, uh, this week. And people in the comments and people on Facebook and Reddit and all that were all amazed. They're like, I've never heard of this before. Uh, so, yeah, you can type in seemingly anything into the search menu in the Photos app for iOS and for Mac. And Apple has advanced image uh, recognition and analysis software that will find things in your photos and return instant results that it thinks fall under certain categories. And uh, the, some of the results are quite uncanny. Um, it, it's pretty astonishingly powerful software that's hidden in your phone and you don't even realize it. Um, the lead example I have in there is I searched for avocado and sure enough, there was a collection of avocados uh, uh, in a photo saved on my mm -hmm. phone. Uh, but you can search for locations, you can search for objects, um, and uh, certain types of things, and they all show up. Now, of course, it isn't perfect, but it casts a wide enough net that even if there are just a handful of incorrect uh, items returned, it's still of significant value. Uh, one of the examples I had in the article was I searched for zoo, and the again, the results were pretty great. Um, tons of photos of, of zoos and animals, um, and specifically animals in cages, as they are in zoos. One of the photos that was returned that I found really interesting was um, I had taken a photo when I was living in Boston of a collection of ducks that were hanging out uh, behind a metal crowd control barrier. And um, so the ducks are all behind these bars. And so Apple's algorithm saw that and said, oh, he must be at a zoo because it was animals behind bars <laughs> when in fact they wasn't at the zoo. It was just along the street. But you can see where the algorithm comes up with that information and says, oh, that must be what this is. Um, another one uh, that uh, uh, was interesting was I searched for scoreboard, mm -hmm. just like, you know, uh, uh, like a the jumbotron that you have at, a, at an arena. Yeah. And uh, it returned 14 results. 13 of them were Photos taken in arenas with scoreboards in them. Pretty impressive. Um, so it's it, the the accuracy level is is pretty high. Um, there was one search that I did for uh, marriage, and when you search for marriage, it returned a lot of photos from weddings and stuff like that. It also the, the incorrect results were either men in suits or women in dresses. So you understand why it came up with that, and then photos of people kissing showed up so you understand why i came up with that so it's interesting how they arrive at this and and uh, the way that it kind of puts it all together and so it's not 100 percent accurate but i think if you try it out you'll be pretty impressed and pretty surprised by how good it is i did find a list that was put together last year of everything that you can search for at least as of last june and it's a total of 4432 different types of items scenes objects that you can search for that it will find in your photos automatically and instantly i, I need to figure out who to contact there because i've already found a couple of words that stump it but uh but i what did what's stumping uh, it? <laughs> it, it turns out it doesn't know razors or shaving <laughs> okay <laughs> it does know ravine and rainforest though good 
good, but I I can't recall the last time I was at a It knows Railroad Station. It knows it knows Rainbow. Good. Does it know Double Rainbow? Uh, so I I just searched for Rainbow, and I have four out of the five are actually of rainbows, and then one of them is uh, lasers. It's a pretty. That's good. one of those high school photos with the uh, the laser background that you've got going on there. Yeah, I have uh, uh, rafting. Rafting. Uh, and there is, sure enough, the one photo in there is a photo of my uh, my brother and his wife rafting. So, yeah, um, accurate on that. I put in rafting because I've got some pictures of us in life jackets, but I didn't pick those up. So, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Does it have life jackets? Let's see. Life jackets. No, I got MetLife Stadium, though. It's got lifts. I'm not sure what how that even matches what I've got here. Okay. No idea. Anyway. Yeah, you can search for art and it will find, like, paintings and stuff. Um, you can search for uh, a birthday cake. You can search for a piggy bank. Um, it, it even has, uh, as I mentioned in the article, it can differentiate between a cat suit and an actual living cat. Wow. Uh, there's actually two different searches in here, one for cat and one for adult cat. That's an interesting distinction. Uh, you can read me and all my exciting tips on appleinsider.com, and you can find me on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L. And I'm your host, Victor, and uh, you can find me on Apple Insider and on this podcast. And we'll be back next week with more exciting tips. <laughs>